0: Into this. We want to be recipients, God, of what you have for us. And so open our ears, open our hearts, open our mind to you. We just close it off to everything that is not of you yes, right Lord now. Jesus. And thank Holy you, oh Spirit, God. would you now reveal your truth to us? Reveal your heart thank to you, us. Jesus. Thank you, oh God. We thank you for what you're going to say. And we just bless you now. Bless Ben. Amen. 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 Can I come a little closer? Yeah, give me yeah I'm going to come a little closer like this. Like this, I can see everybody a little bit better. Oh, well, I can't see my wife, so if she scowls at me, <laughs> said it wrong. Yeah, um, Paul, how much time do I have here? I just want to make sure I'm honoring um, what we're at, 1120 right now. Okay, we'll shoot for that. So whether I'm done or not, that's the cutoff point. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I want to start first by just um, directing our attention to a uh, passage of Scripture for Timothy 2.1. Um, in that passage, Paul instructs his younger disciple, of course, Timothy was his disciple, to pray for uh, leaders, to make supplications for leaders. We know that right now, there's much, much controversy. If you've been watching the news, what's going on in Washington? Um, there are many, many people that are comparing actually what's going on right now to the Watergate incident in Nixon's time. There's this whole uh, incident that's been exposed, the Benghazi incident. You, you remember that at the start of um, Obama's second term, that he announced kind of was a bold declaration. We've we've uh, ended the war on terror. We, we got Osama bin Laden. It's 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 all over. And then there was this big um, big event that took place. There's been a lot of things that have happened around that. The IRS has since gotten exposed for targeting conservative organizations, non-for-profit organizations, um, to, to, to try to go for them explicitly to take down um, basically conservative voices in this nation. A lot of people, there's a lot of argument. A lot of stuff is going back and forth. A lot of our lawmakers are extremely angry right now um, with one another. There's a lot of division going on. And so it's a good time to pray, amen, I mean, when you, when you see the kinds of things that are happening right now, it's clear that God is exposing things, right? When things go on in the dark and they suddenly come to the light and leaders are thinking, oh, no, I didn't mean for that to come to the light, that's actually a good thing because when we bring things into the light, that's where healing takes place. And so um, let's just take a few moments to really lift up some prayer, burn some incense before the Lord on this. one. So we just pray our now Heavenly Father, if you've got a prayer language, Feel free. We pray right now, Heavenly Father, for our nation, Lord. We know that there are many, many people. There are people in our nation that want to make righteous and godly decisions. You said, O oh Lord, in Your Word that righteousness exalts a nation, but sinners are disgrace to any people. We pray, Heavenly Father, for our leaders. Lord, we don't, we don't claim to be better than than Obama, Lord Jesus. We, we know that apart from Your blood, we're just like He is, God. We're in the same situation. Lord, we just pray for mercy, God. We cry out for mercy for our nation, Lord Jesus. Lord, we know that you have every right to be angry with our nation for the things that we have done against you, Lord. We pray right now that you would give mercy, Lord, and that you would speak to the hearts of our leaders, God, and begin to to cause a unity to take place for the changes that you want in our country. We pray that you would do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So that type of prayer is intercessory prayer. Right? We began talking about persistence, healing, so now we're on intercession. And there's, there's an interesting thing. If you read the Bible, you'll notice in the New Testament that there's two spiritual giftings that are never named. Does anyone know what they are? I'll give you a hint. The first one starts with a an knee and the second one with an eye. Evangelism and... That's right, intercession. Intercession is not a spiritual gift. Neither is evangelism. That might surprise you. Evangelism, as we know, is one of those giftings that God places upon certain people in the body of Christ. Right? It's a, it's, a, it's a responsibility. It's an office. But it's never called a gift. Why? Why is intercession and evangelism, why are those two things never called specific gifts that certain people get? Bingo. You got it. Because everybody is supposed to be sharing Jesus with people and everybody is called to pray. So... This, this, this is something that we need to be challenged with if we're not in a place where we want to pursue God in a deep way in prayer. Some of us in this room possibly don't have a deep prayer life and intercession. And I want to challenge you today. If that's you, God wants to call you deeper. I'm saying this at the beginning up front so that we don't think to ourselves, this is a message for certain people, certainly not for all people in the church. That's not true. God wants every single person to have this as a priority in their hearts, to intercede like we just did, and it's something that he wants to see coming out of us. And there's numerous places in the New Testament that prove this. We know that Paul calls us to pray without ceasing, amen, right? We're called to, to pray without ceasing. That's First Thessalonians 5.17, pray at all times. We're supposed to lift up prayers and intercessions for all people, just like we read, right? However, in order to do this, we really got to understand what intercession is all about because it's a little bit different than the other types of prayer that we looked at so far over the past two weeks. And so I want to look at this. So if you could please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 18. We're going to look at a story. This is the very first story in the Bible in which we see someone stepping into the role of intercession. Just say amen when you get there. Genesis 18. Okay, I have a few. All right. All right, that's, a, that's good. we got a small cadre. We're going for it. So, Genesis 18. Um, this, for those of you that do not know, is the story of Abraham. He's just received the announcement that Sarah is going to give birth to the promised son, Isaac. And he's very, very happy about all this. And the angel of the Lord has appeared to him. And and then we read this, beginning with verse 17. Here's what the Bible says. It says, The Lord says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. Hallelujah. That's a good thing. So God is showing that he's going to include Abraham on something. And this is what he says. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but, the, but Abraham stood before the Lord. I want you to notice something here. I want you to get out your mental highlighters, okay? And just underline that phrase in your mind's eye. Abraham stood before the Lord. That's key. That's one of the main things we've got to understand about intercession here. The picture here that we see is that Abraham is standing between God on one side and the city is at his back. So the city of Sodom is behind him and God is before him and and he stops there and he takes his position and that's the position of intercession right there. To intercede means you're standing between God and either a person or a group of people. Intercession is first and foremost, it is stand between prayer. You're standing between. It's not personal prayer or meditation. Amen. It's not prayer for your circumstances and your conditions alone, although we pray for those things, right? I mean, everybody, every one of us has struggles here. And we come before the Lord on those things and we cry out in prayer. But that's not what intercession is. Intercession is not prayer for yourself. It's not prayer for your circumstances. It's prayer for somebody else. That's important to understand. Now, Merriam-Webster defines the word intercession in this way. Listen to this. To intervene between two parties with a view to reconciling differences. So that's what we're doing as we're interceding. We're trying to reconcile God and the person that we're praying for in prayer. Another dictionary defines it this way. It's to plead on someone else's behalf. So therefore, to intercede is to position ourselves and be completely focused on someone else, to turn away from self and to plead on behalf of another. So with that said, let's continue now with what Abraham went on to say. Verse 18, look in your Bibles. You following this okay? (laughs) Okay. 18, I'm sorry, 23, pardon. It says, then Abraham drew near and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. To put the, the righteous to death with the wicked that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So here's a second truth that we need to grasp. is is that intercession is inherently conversational in nature. It's You're having a conversation with God. And see, returning to the, uh, the original New Testament word for intercession, in the Greek, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing this right, It's enctuxis, meaning falling in, meeting with. It's a conference or a coming together. So you're talking with God. And so for this reason, intercession is very, very closely connected to prophecy. How many of you are excited about stepping into prophecy more? Intercession is directly connected to this. Look at this. It's considered to be one of the defining marks of a genuine prophetic ministry. In fact, when Jeremiah the prophet in Jerusalem was questioning the validity of certain prophets that were raising up and saying certain things, he challenged them with this statement. He said, if they are prophets and the word of the Lord is with them, then let them intercede with the Lord. In other words, if they're really hearing the word of the Lord, then they're standing between this city and the Lord on behalf of this city. So that's an important thing. So therefore, the context of intercession is is a conversation. It's a two-way conversation. You're talking with God. You're pleading with God for mercy on behalf of that person. And in the story of Genesis 18, that's just what Abraham was doing. He heard what God was about to do and he became very frightened for the sake of his nephew Lot. And so he begins to pray and to cry out. And this lies at the heart of of Paul's proclamation that we started out with in 1 Timothy 2.1. It's the very same principle. Look back to it. It says 1 Timothy 2.1, I urge that entreaties be made on behalf of all men. That's the New American Standard Bible. Another translation renders it supplications supplications are pleas for mercy that's just what Abraham is doing and so therefore understanding God's heart for mercy in intercession is really really important God is a merciful God he wants to express mercy towards this nation right now even in spite of all the wicked things that we've done there's still a powerful opportunity for us to minister and to see a change come about I love this verse 2nd Peter 3 9 God doesn't wish that any person should perish but that all should reach repentance. Amen? Amen. And we find this fact proven to us in an even more powerful way as we finish up the story. Let's continue on with the story now with verse 27. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Wow. So again, Abraham speaks and says, suppose 40 are found there. And the Lord answers again, for the sake of 40, I won't do it. And Abraham says, what about 30? And the Lord said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And on and on as the story goes until he gets down to 10 persons. Abraham says, oh, let the Lord not be angry, but I will speak this once more. Suppose ten are found. And he answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Verse 33, and the Lord went away when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So you see, Abraham's intercession for Sodom reveals something about the mercy of God. And that might be sound like a strange statement to make, especially when it comes to this story, because the next morning Abraham and Sarah woke up and saw a huge plume of smoke going up into the horizon. You're thinking, mercy? I mean, this is a story about the mercy of God? Yeah, it actually does prove the amazing power of God's mercy because if you understand the facts about what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, very specifically as it relates to the population, it's astounding how merciful God was willing to be. Listen to this. This comes uh, from a book that Derek Prince wrote. How many of you know Derek Prince? Powerful man of God. wrote. It's called Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. Some of you may have read it before. And this is what Derek Prince says about the population of Sodom. Listen to this. The population of Sodom in Abraham's day was probably not less than 10,000. Whoa. God assured Abraham that for 10 righteous persons that he would save a city of 10,000. So the ratio there is 1 in a 1,000. Now, you can extend that figure indefinitely, okay? Let's go ahead and superimpose that onto America. What that would mean is that for the total population of our nation if god could find just a quarter of a million people here that he would spare us from judgment that's how merciful god is that is an extreme amount of mercy can you say amen to that i mean that's 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 significant it shows his heart the lord is so tender he is so tender he wants to see change in us and he's willing actually to relent from bringing righteous calamity upon nations simply if he finds people that are there that are righteous that are pleading with the lord and so this convinces, convinces us, uh, I think, of the necessity of, of there being intercessors in nations. And maybe God is going to call you to be one. Maybe you've got this, this, uh, this desire that's beginning to grow in your heart to begin to step into this. Because I believe that all Christians are called to it. So I'm going to continue on now. We're going to look into the issue of the heart of intercession. And when we when we consider this, we're met with a powerful truth, and this is a controversial truth in the body of Christ today that God actually does judge nations. I'll just let that sit for a moment. Maybe you grew up thinking that that wasn't true. Maybe you were told, well, once the cross came, no more judgment. I think America is, I am going to be careful as I say this, but I think we're worshiping a changing God. I tell you, I'm not comfortable worshiping a changing God. If God can change, then just maybe God might change his mind about whether or not he still wants to be merciful for me a thousand years from now in heaven. I don't like the idea of having a change in God. Well, if God could change his mind and God at one point said, well, Ben, I'm going to have mercy upon you. And a thousand years from now, I'm in heaven. What if the Lord changes his mind and said, well, I don't know. Maybe I was, I don't want to do that anymore. I'll throw you into hell. I mean, if we don't have a God that simply never changes... How can we be confident in anything that He's promised or spoken to us in His Word? The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 7, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? So anything that God is once in the Bible, He is always. It's an important thing for us to understand. But even as we look at this idea that God judges nations, it's important for us to understand why does He do this? Does He do this simply because He's filled with fury and rage? He's just really angry and wrathful, and that's why he's moved to do the things that he does. I believe that is not the primary reason. I don't believe it is. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 6. I want to show you something. Just say amen when you get there. You should be really close. All right. Look what it says, beginning with verse 5. I want you to see this. Verses 5 and 6. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was was only evil continually. So three words there that jump out. Every, only, and continually. Man is only evil continually. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That's significant. You have to understand this. When God sees evil actions happening on the earth, it's not primarily that he becomes angry. First and foremost, he is grieved. He feels sorrow in his heart. He feels pain in his heart. God is pain to his inmost being. Now, why is this the case? I'll tell you why I think it is. Because God cannot look away from evil and just say, I'm not going to pay attention to that right now. I'm going to pay attention to something else. He can't do that. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. So he cannot somehow distance himself from evil actions so that he no longer experiences pain and suffering in his heart for, for what he sees happening. He can't do that. Do you remember the pain that you felt in your heart when you saw the Twin Towers collapse? There's no way for God to avoid that. You can turn off the TV. He can't. He's there at ground zero the entire time. Amen? So he can't escape from that pain. There's no way for him to do this. Maybe he'd like to, but he can't. Because it's contrary to his nature. So when we see that brought into the equation, it's it's a powerful thing. As incredible as it sounds that God could experience pain. And we find a compelling example of this, of God working to judge because of pain in his heart in the book of Ezekiel. You remember the story of how Ezekiel was raised up as a prophet, right? Ezekiel was raised up as a prophet of the Lord to the nation of Jerusalem when they were in exile. And we know that the situation in Jerusalem had gotten so bad they were sinning against the Lord, they were turning away from God's righteous decrees, they were doing all these terrible things. They were I don't even want to list all the things that they were doing. But the Lord actually says in Ezekiel 14, 14, he says, though three, these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in Jerusalem, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness. That's how wicked the place had become. But then in Ezekiel 5, I'm reading this from the uh, the King James Version, this is what the Lord said to Ezekiel. He says, Thus shall mine anger be accomplished upon them, and I will be comforted. Whoa. I mean, it's it's almost a dreadful thing to imagine that Almighty God would need to be comforted. I mean, what kind of lunacy was happening in that city that God was looking for comfort? But this is how he responds when he sees sin taking place on the earth. It's, it's, it's an amazing fact. Scripture proves, and this is what's really incredible, Scripture proves that when intercessors pray, God, in many cases, though not in the case of Jerusalem, he relents from bringing calamity because apparently... The intercessor comforts his heart. Listen to this. The intercessor comforts his heart more than bringing judgment does. So that means that something about this type of prayer can actually work to comfort the heart of God in the midst of his own righteous judgments. As he's doing the things that he's doing in the earth, God is looking for someone who will relate to him. He's in deep distress and pain. He's like, who is going to be able to comfort me? I'm crying. What about? I know you're crying. What about me? I'm in a lot of pain right now. I need somebody to come and comfort my heart. God is a relational God. Am I going too far with this? I don't think so. And let me tell you why. Because God is merciful. He deeply desires that somebody would be able to relate to him. In the midst of the suffering that He is experiencing. You know, the, the prayer that we pray in the song that we sing, it goes, break my heart for what breaks yours. That's a prayer for us to be brought into this reality. We want to have brokenness in our hearts for what's breaking God's heart because it comforts Him. This is such an honor to understand that human beings can actually provide this for God. That He wants to work judgment because he wants to comfort his own heart from the pain that he's experiencing from the sin that's happening, and yet he turns to a person and says, I'll allow you to comfort me. I mean that's, that's an extremely humbling thing. I'll just realize I uh, read this straight from my, my manuscript. When we realize that God wants someone to offer him consolation in the midst of his own righteous judgments, we're both humbled and alarmed. For we know that in our hearts we are often tempted to wonder amidst our own personal suffering, does God really care about my pain? How many have ever thought that before? You're crying out to God, are you even hearing me? <laughs> right? We think that way. In a vast world filled with so many people, we find it difficult to imagine that God would notice our tears. This is the very human side to the life of faith that we often struggle to believe that God hears our prayers. And yet when we realize the value and importance God places upon our sighing and our crying in the place of intercession, it causes us to become alarmed. And here's why. Because the very tears whose importance we once questioned has now become so important to God that he's either going to judge or preserve a nation on the basis of those tears. We think of it as such a small thing. Our tears are so meaningless before God, right? And yet they mean so much to God that He'll say, I'll not judge that nation because you're crying. That's an incredible thing. It's the reason the prophet, the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, he writes this, Isaiah fifty nine sixteen. God saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. See, the Lord... The Lord is is the one who wishes to see a mediator. He wants somebody to stand in between him and the person that he's coming against because he wants to work mercy. But if he doesn't find an intercessor, then he's got to do anything he can to make himself comforted. In that case, it means bringing justice. So in this way, the, the intercessor stands first and foremost as someone who is there to comfort God. How many people want that as a role in their lives? To have the honor... His heart and your heart connecting in this way is an extremely intimate thing. But it's not enough simply to understand that as intercessors that we pray away divine retribution. Not enough to understand that. See, because the intercessor, he prays, doesn't just pray purely to avoid grievous judgments upon individuals or nations. The intercessor also prays not simply for the interest of man at all but for the interests of God. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel the prophet prays, for your own sake, O Lord, let your face shine upon your holy city and your sanctuary which lies desolate. So if we're going to stand in between God and man, it can't be just simply because we're experiencing personal anguish. We've got to stand there in that place knowing that we're there on God's behalf and for his best interests. And that attracts the presence of God in the place of intercession. And that's what makes it powerful is that we're actually there to honor God. We're there to guard His interests and protect His interests. And we're saying, Lord, for Your sake and for the sake of Your name, Lord, cause Your heart to turn away from what's coming against this nation. And this brings us to our next point. How do we effectively carry that type of a heart, right? I mean, how can I be sure that I'm really behaving genuinely enough before God to attract that type of attention? What if He sees my approach to Him to guard His best interests is somehow disingenuous or not good enough. Well, here's one of the things that we have in our, in our side, in our camp. We have the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Romans 8, verse 26. You can just turn there if you want to. This is the verse that I'm going to end with. Romans eight twenty six. Paul writes, the Spirit Himself helps us in our infirmities. For we don't know how we should pray. How many have ever felt like that before? Some of us don't even know what to pray when we see what's going on right now in the world, just in our nation alone, let alone other nations in the earth. The Spirit helps us in our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray, as we ought to know. But the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So Paul's making it clear that praying Intercessory prayers is about the Holy Spirit praying prayers through us. It's actually God praying to God. It's God standing in the middle of God and man through your heart. The Holy Spirit has been put inside of your heart to help you in your weakness so that the prayers that you pray are authentic to God, so that they actually make a difference to Him. You begin to become, your lips become anointed, and you're pleading in intercession for a place, and the Lord actually listens to what you're saying. And in that place of travail before the Lord, God actually answers your prayer. Um, got a story here on this. I'll close with this. It's a story of my own father and my mother. In my eyes, they're, they're two of just the greatest prayer warriors, intercessors that I know. When I went astray from the Lord as a teenager, this is about 12, 13 years ago now, my, my father and my mother prayed for me to come back to the Lord. And they prayed desperately. They wanted me to come back to church. They wanted me to receive all that Jesus had for me to fulfill my my purposes, the destiny that God created me for. And they prayed me back into the kingdom. That was such an awesome thing. And so thankful for that. And amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. And they they actually were in a prayer meeting for their denomination. And it was back, back in, I think, the first year that I would say, which was the year 2000, so they were down in Tallahassee, Florida, and while they were in Florida, this permitting was going on. They were praying for different pastors who represented different states throughout the nations, throughout the na- this nation. And as they were doing that, it was okay. the prayer was okay, it was going along okay. But then when my father and mother went up to the platform and they began to pray for New York City, suddenly the presence of God just collapsed into the room, and people began crying out in intercession. The Spirit was making intercession through their hearts, and they were crying out for the city of New York, Have mercy! Have mercy! No one knew what they were even praying about. And then next year, 9-11 happened. The next thing that happened, right after they prayed for New York, was that another pastor got up, and he was a pastor in the city of Tallahassee, Florida. He may have been the host pastor, I don't know. Of that conference, but he got up, and once again, a spirit of intercession collapsed on that place again. They began to cry out, "God, the eyes of the nation shall be upon Tallahassee and they began to pray very fervently this way. no one knew why and then, as Al Gore and Bush were duking it out in Tallahassee, Florida, over dimples and voting ballots, the eyes of the nation turned to that city, and that intercession, I believe worked to cause George W. Bush to enter into office at that time to do what he did to begin to to fight terrorism and other things that he did. Now, you, you might say, well, didn't God hear the intercession for the twins, Twin Towers? I mean, they collapsed. i tell you something. I was in New York City at the time. There were multiple testimonies that came out of Christians that should have been in the Twin Towers at the time, and the Lord said, don't go to work, and they didn't. And I've been around the nation. I've ministered in New York City and Chicago and now the Twin Cities. I'm telling you, in all three places, I've heard those very same testimonies. You know, I know so-and-so in New York. They were going to go to work that day. They didn't go to work. And it circulated throughout. God did preserve life. And intercession matters. And so maybe this is something that God wants to help you to step into. Maybe it's something that you've never really done before. You've never... Ask God to anoint your heart in the place of intercession to begin to pray prayers, totally selfless prayers, prayers that are totally about other people and not about you. They're prayers for people not to fall under the circumstances and the just punishment of God for sin. Maybe somebody deserves to be punished and you're there crying out for mercy for that person. I did this once for an individual, for a family member of ours, Sarah and I. This was a guy who was not a believer. He had lived his whole life rushing towards trying to make as much money as he possibly could. It was a very bitter man in his heart. And when the time came for him to die, the Lord put a burden of intercession on me. I began to cry out for this man's life. God, have mercy on him, Lord Jesus. Don't let him die without knowing you. And the day, I tell you, the day that Sarah called me up and said, well, this was the story. He was with my aunt. It was right before he died. He could no longer speak. My aunt said to the man, do you want to pray the sinner's prayer to receive Jesus Christ? He indicated yes. She prayed through the prayer and then paused after each sentence, waiting for him to respond in his own heart. As soon as she said amen, a tear rolled down his cheek and he died on the spot. I tell you, when she called me and told me that, I fell on the ground just crying. I knew that God had heard my intercession. That's the ministry of intercession. That's the effectiveness of it. We're coming before God. We're saying, I know that they deserve it, Lord, but don't have mercy. And God does. He brings mercy. And we get to see those kinds of things happen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, as a church to enter in more deeply into the ministry of intercession. We want to be like Abraham, who stood between Sodom and the Lord. We want to be people that take on this role seriously, God. I pray that right now that you be equipping hearts, touching our lives, helping us, Lord, to see the eternal glory of this God, of being those that comfort you. me <coughs> praise your name.
1: Intercession matters. That's a great, great two word sentence i'd like us to do it now do it in small groups here's what here's what we'll do we understand sometimes people have to leave right away that's okay if you have to leave we understand but if you can stay for a few minutes we're going to break up into small groups group of three maybe a group of four and you agree together You agree together on something outside of yourself. We're not praying right now for personal needs, even for needs of Lydia House. We're praying for something. It may be for your neighborhood. It may be for someone you know. It may be for the nation. It may be for the persecuted people. You together agree on something that you will pray for together and it, it may be just two of you, maybe three, four. Let's not get ten, but a small group, and we'll pray together. I really appreciate the the heart that we're hearing in this. That I want to grow deeper in intercession. Don't you? Don't you want to? Don't you want to get good at praying beyond yourself for other people? It's clear from Scripture that God listens to people. Even that passage that he he quoted from Ezekiel, even if even if it, it, Jeremiah or Moses, I, I won't even listen to them. That's saying I listen to people, and so he listens to you today. He listens to your prayer. So I'm going to speak a word of blessing over you. Thank you, Ben, for your word this morning. Thank you for encouraging us to. To connect with God in this way Outside of ourself for others So I'll bless you And then small groups to pray And, and the time limit is its up to you It may be a short time Or it may be more extended and Then remember next week we'll come back And we'll have a potluck, no potluck today so the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his mercy and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.